You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. One of the sad things that is happening in our nation is that we have become satisfied with something less than best. As you know, uh, the days of the real craftsmen seem to have passed off of the scene. There was a time when if a man, for instance, built furniture, I can think about, remember my grandfather uh, building furniture. Well, he was a real craftsman, and he wasn't satisfied unless it was done properly, and he, and he built it to last. As a matter of fact, if you ever saw anything that he built, you could put it right up there with the Rock of Gibraltar. It looked like it would last forever. Sometimes it lacked natural beauty, but it was always very sturdy. But he was a craftsman. Uh, men of various trades in days gone by took a great deal of pride, proper pride, in what they did. And the idea of doing something in a slipshod fashion and just doing it to, to get it done and get it out of the way, that was foreign because there was in our society a, a sense of pride and a work ethic that said, what I do is my signature that I leave on this earth, and I want it to be good. I want to do the best that I can. Seems like that has passed from our thinking. People get up in the morning, go down, punch time clock, spend all day at work, go home. Never occurs to them they ought to be doing their best. What occurs to them very often is, well, we ought to just do enough to get by, enough to keep from getting fired, enough that I don't have to come back and do it again. Now, I believe that that is nothing short of a sin. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that it's a sin because the Bible says that everything we do, we ought to do as unto the Lord. It ought to be fit for King Jesus. Just as if you knew that he was going to walk in and listen to you speak or watch what you wrote or watch the way that you cleaned the house or, or watch the way that you drove or mended or worked or talked or counseled, watch what you did tomorrow. It ought to be fit for the king. And what a sad commentary many men leave in their lives when they get to the end of their life and they cannot say, well, I believe I did my best. They can say, I just got by, I made it to the end, kept most people off my back, and I don't believe you want to live that kind of life. I believe every person here ought to have enough gumption within you to say, I want to do the best that I can do. And so we've come to a, a, a little passage of Scripture here in the book of Colossians that tells us how we can do our best all the time. So with your Bible open to Colossians chapter 3, let me ask you to stand with me, and we're going to read the Scripture, which is the text for this message. Now, you know the message began last week, then again this morning, this evening, and then next Sunday morning. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as is fit in the Lord. Husbands, Love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. 
Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, that is, out of the heart, literally, as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that does wrong shall receive for the wrong which he has done, and there is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, Heavenly Father, as we bow before you in these few moments, our prayer is that we would receive all that you intended from this passage of Scripture. Oh, dear God in heaven, how I pray that you would teach us that it is only when we do what we do heartily as unto you that it is well-pleasing. And Father, I pray that every one of us would see that there is within us so much more than we are doing. We are capable of so much more. And Father, I pray that you would, you would cause people to begin to, to dream dreams, to have visions about what could be done if they applied themselves fully to the work at hand. Oh, God, I pray that we would be those people. Each one of us would resolve in our heart those kinds of people who would say, I'm going to give it my best. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. What does the coach look for? He looks for not necessarily ability or talent. That's important. But he looks for heart. He looks for someone who on the playing field will give his best. What do seasoned employers look for in an employee? Not necessarily someone who's a quick study or who's got a lot of ideas or who is very creative, but someone who day in, day out gives his best. Is loyal, is faithful, is focused on the job, and you don't have to go around cleaning up behind him, behind him, making apologies for his work or sending him back a second time to finish what he started. They're looking for people who do the best that they know how to do. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. Now, as we have looked at this passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter 3, we've noted that if we're going to do our best all the time, there are several things we need to do. First of all, we need to respond to a biblical exhortation. We need to do something about it. The exhortation is found there in verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Be the right man, he says. Do what you do under God's authority. Have the right mind. Give thanks to Him because it's another opportunity to serve Him. But there's more to the exhortation in verse 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily. You need to do it with the right manner. Do it out of the heart as unto the Lord and not unto men. You need to have the right motivation. So be the right man, have the right mind, do it with the right manner, out of the right heart, or have the right motivation. Those are the biblical exhortations to which we need to respond. Now, so that we will not miss the point, he not only gives us biblical exhortations, but he gives us some basic examples. He said, let me just give you some illustrations of this, all right? Now, two of these have to do with the home. One of them have to do with the workplace. So let's look at these examples. We've already looked at one, and that is the relationship between a husband and a wife and a wife and a husband. In other words, the relationship to your companion. And we've noticed that the wife has a specific position. She should have a passion for her own husband, and this is God's plan. This is the way God says it works. The husband 
makes a specific promise. Husband, love your wife. Be a one-woman man. He has a passion in his heart. Love your wife. And he has this purpose in his heart, not to be bitter. That word, as I mentioned earlier, means don't just pick, pick, because the word in the Greek language actually has the prefix pick in it. And it means to pick away or to pierce or to harp on something. Don't, don't just keep picking on issues. Someone said this morning following the worship service, that is the sin of which I am most guilty. And I've dealt with it, he said at the altar in the service this morning. Just constantly harping. Now, there's another example here, not only an example about our relationship with our companions. He said you can also do your best. It's seen in your relationship as a child to a parent or a parent to the child. So look with me, if you will, please, at verses 20 and 21. Another illustration right out of the home about how to do your best. Children, he says in verse 20, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. All right, let's look first at children. All of us, to one extent or the other, are children. But now he's referring to those who are in the home, under the authority of the home, or maybe out of the home, but still under parental authority. By the way, a word about that. Did you know that scripturally there is a sense in which you are under parental authority until when? Until marriage. When the Bible speaks about marriage, it says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. For what cause? One cause, that is marriage, and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become what? One flesh, that is another family. And so there's a sense in which maybe uh, you and I have been buffaloed many times. People say, well, you know, I mean, I've heard fathers say, for instance, about their children. Well, you know, when they get to be a certain age, you don't have any control on them. You don't have any authority over them. Says who? Now, God's Word doesn't say that. And I want you to understand, and in a few moments we're going to talk specifically about fathers, but it's important to understand that you need to begin when a child is born developing the kind of relationship that will encourage that child to respect your authority and your counsel. If you don't develop that kind of relationship early in life, it's hard to come along later on and just demand it and say, now look, because I'm your dad, you're going to do this. Well, you can do that a little bit, but you begin when the child is born developing that kind of loving relationship so that the child respects you for who you are. Leadership, as I said this morning, begins in the home. If you're not a man of integrity in the home, then you have no leadership anyplace else. I mean, you may for a little bit, but it's going to fall through unless the people who know you best find you to be a believable person. Now, what does it say about children? Well, there is a command here for children. Children, he says, and we're not talking about just little bitty children. We're talking about grown-up children, teenagers, college students, even singles. Children, he says, obey your parents. You say, now, wait a minute, Brother Tom. I mean, if I've moved, if my parents say, look, you're on your own, all right, you're obeying your parents when you start making your decisions on your own. But there's a time, you know, there's a time in your life when your parents want to be involved. They are involved. You're growing up. They begin to visit with you. No, I don't think you ought to do this. No, I'm going to ask you not to do that. I believe you should do this. I approve of this. You're blessed if you do this. So he says, children, here's the command, obey your parents. Now, this word obey is an interesting word in the language of the Bible. 
It has in it what we use for the root of the word acoustic. And it has also a prefix that we use for like a hypodermic syringe, something that goes beneath the skin. And so the word that is used here literally means put yourself under your parents' counsel. Children, put yourself under your parents' counsel, what they say, the counsel that they give you. And so that is the command. What is the circumference here? Your parents. Children, obey your parents. Now, let me just speak especially to you young people who are over here. There is, and there always has been, a great tendency to be urged along the way by others than our parents. And sometimes that urging is proper. It's good to have friends who love the Lord and serve the Lord. You become in great measure what your friends make you. And so you ought to be careful in the choosing of your friends. But I want you to know that as far as God is concerned, there is no command in the Bible that says, obey your friends. There's no command in the Bible that says, obey uh, the counsel of someone else and do it regardless. What the Bible does say is, children, obey your parents. That is the Word of God to children. Now, certainly you can seek counsel. There are times when your friends have great advice for you. Later on in life, uh, someone may come to you and say, look, I know this is going to be unpleasing to you or displeasing to you, but I have some counsel for you. But as you're a child, and, and a child doesn't mean a child, a little bitty child like you think, you know, running around the, the house. It means, you know, anyone who's in the home and under the authority of parents, children, obey. Put yourself under the counsel of your parents. And you may come home and say, but my friends say, or but, but uh, I heard someone say on TV, or, um, well, I was in a class and this teacher said. Now, you ought to have respect for authority. But I want to tell you, bottom line, the Bible has a command that says, children, obey your parents. By the way, did you know that that is the first commandment in the Bible that has a promise to it? And what is the promise? The promise is, A, that your days may be long upon the earth, and B, in the land that has been given you to dwell. In other words, that you can enjoy the land that has been given to you. And so this, this command has a promise. Children, obey your parents. Now, it doesn't say obey your parents if you think they're spiritual. It doesn't say obey your parents if you think they're right. It doesn't say obey your parents if it's the cool thing to do. It doesn't say obey your parents if they tell you what you want to hear. It says, children, obey your parents. So the command, obey the circumference, your parents, and look at the consequences, he says, because this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. You want to know when you please the Lord? It's when you live a life of obedience to your parents. Now, there comes a time when parents... Say, look, you're, you're on your own or you're getting married or you're moving out of the house. You're going to have to make a lot of these decisions on your own. You come back to your parents for counsel. You're out from underneath their authority. You've married. You've moved away. You've started your own family. But until that happens, your parents are still the authority figure in your life. Then children, obey your parents. Let me just say that in my own life, I can look back at a specific decision I made. I, I have forgotten the age 
I was when I made this. It was probably, I was probably a lot older than my parents wanted me to be. But there came a time when it suddenly clicked in my heart that life sure went a lot easier. I was sure granted a lot more privileges. I was given a lot more responsibility if I would just obey my parents. When I didn't obey my parents, life got hard. I missed blessings. I suffered the consequences. And I missed out on, on some responsibilities that I could have had and some achievements that I could have probably uh, uh, been a part of because I was just, I was balking against authority. <laughs> I remember, and I can tell this because my, uh, my grandsons, all but one of them, we're keeping one of them, all the rest of them are away on vacation, their parents, so I can tell you this behind their back. And the other grandparents are way with them, and so I can tell about everybody. Um, <laughs> but when, when the eldest was just, you know, just a little squirt, he's not a, much but a big squirt now, just a little squirt, well, uh, uh, we were sitting at our house, and, and, and Beth, our daughter, was saying, well, we're trying to teach, uh, we're trying to teach Carter here that, uh, that disobedience has consequences. And uh, she said, you know, he's got to learn. When he disobeys, there are consequences of that. And I said, well, I sure hope, and I said this in his hearing, I sure hope that you're teaching them that obedience brings blessing. I mean, when you obey, you also get blessed. Well, I, well that was okay. That's a pretty good lesson. You never know about little pictures and big ears. Uh, se several nights later, Carter had been up about five times and out of the bed, and he, you know, and, and he was having to be disciplined, you know. And I mean, finally, Tony went in the room and he said, Carter, I want to tell you something. What's about to happen, <clears throat> your encounter with Mr. Big, they call him, uh, your, this encounter here is, uh, is because disobedience has consequences. And so there was that little period of discipline in there, and there was a lot of <gasps> snubbing and crying and everything. And so Tony's walking around the room, out of the room, and, and Carter says, Daddy? He said, what? He says, obedience brings blessings. Granddaddy said that. Well, <laughs> yes, I know. You know, that's an important lesson to learn, isn't it? Disobedience has consequences. And your life, my life, will go so much better when we learn that. Children, obey your parents. Well, there's another side to this. Fathers, he said. Let's turn to what he says about fathers. He says, children, you're doing right. You're doing your best when you're obeying your parents. Dads, what about you? And you might include all parents, but he uses the father here. He speaks specifically to the father. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Now, what is the command? He says, don't provoke your children to anger. And the word that is used here means don't incite it's almost like baiting someone or stirring up. Don't continually stir up the anger of your children. Now, this command is very interesting because, you see, there are a lot of dads. I, I'll just be honest with you. There are a lot of dads who can do this. They, they rarely have a good thing to say to their children. They can tell you everything that child has done wrong. They can give you a litany of the child's offenses. He did this, she did that, yeah. And not only that, but, but they never forget. They never forget. So that every time they disobey, they hear the sum total of the sins of the past. 
That's just the way you are. Well, only yesterday you did this, and the day before that, and last week you did this. So that it's never, there's never any blessing for obedience to them. It gets to the point where the child begins to think, I can't do anything right around here. So he says, fathers, doesn't say that you ought not to be a disciplinarian. Doesn't say that that, that, that is uh, that the way to, it, that you should live to accommodate your child. No. But he says, in the home here, fathers, you have this command. Don't provoke your children to anger. Now, now how do you provoke your children to anger? Let me, let me suggest several things here. In the first place, this whole, this word to provoke speaks of a repetitive act. It means you just keep on, keeping on, you keep on, and you keep on, and you keep on, and you won't lay off. And I have discovered in my brief life, I have discovered that when discipline, for instance, has to be repeated over and over, it is probably because it is never meted out in a scriptural fashion in the first place. It's never thoroughly done. You know, it's like just sort of semi-swatting in the, you know, oh, don't do that. No. I said don't do that. Don't do that, you know. Well, you translate that into a teenager. I said don't do that. You always do that. You come back here, slam. I'm, st I'm telling you, you know, and they, it's just because it was never meted out properly in the first place. And I don't mean cruelly. I mean just consistently, lovingly, in a spiritual fashion. And we've talked about, I've talked about, you know, the Bible principles of discipline before. And one of them is that you, you know, you take the time to do it right because it's discipline, not punishment. Discipline says, I love you. I'm making an investment in your life. Punishment says, you did this, whack. How's that feel? And the Bible says that Jesus took our punishment on the cross, but God does discipline us or chasten us because he loves us. And so if, if, one of the things you need to do, establish with children as they're growing up is that when discipline is needed, it's not going to be done in just sort of a half-hearted way. Why? Because you're going to have to come back and do it again and again and again and again and again. And finally, you won't know how to do it effectively and they won't know how to respond effectively and you'll try and get mad and they'll try and they'll get mad. And that's provoking. That's provoking. That's just stirring up. That's just inciting people to anger. There's a second thing that I think causes father to provoke the wrath of their children, and that is that they don't spend time with their children affirming them. I mean, sitting down on the edge of the bed, for instance, and talking a long time, hours, about... I'm so proud of you, and I love you, and you're a gift from God to me. And I'm grateful that God has given you, uh, or given me the privilege of being your parent. I'm going to have to give an account to God one of these days. You see, that puts your discipline in a completely different light because it's not just somebody sailing in who doesn't care about them anyway and never talks to them anyway, sailing in and knocking them about and criticizing the way the room is or the job's done or the grades are done. It is someone who is willing to take hours if need be and invest them in finding out who you are and loving you for who you are and with you thanking God for who you are. One of the reasons that so much of what parents do provokes children is because it seems the only time children hear much from their parents is when they've done something wrong. 
By the way, do you know why every once in a while somebody come along and they say, boy, that, that child is a real pill? Or they'll say, man, you know, we had X number of kids. This one we just didn't know what to do with. That, you know, do you know why many times children take off like that, go on a streak like that? Let me tell you the truth. Any attention, even if it's anger, is better than no attention from you whatsoever. And sometimes children do what they do just to say, hey, do you know I'm over here? Do you know I live in this house? Do I mean anything to you? And their way of finding out whether you mean anything to them is to get you upset because otherwise you're never going to say, I love you. You mean so much to me. I'm so grateful God put you in my life. So fathers, here's the command. Don't provoke. Just keep inside. How do you get around that? You need to sit down. You say, well, what, how do you do that with a two-year-old or a three? You begin. Somebody said, if you want to be a nice old man, you better start when you're about two months old because in your old age, you're an exaggeration of what you are in your youth. It's too late to start when you're old trying to get to be a nice old man. Well, you start these relationships early on. And it's not just having quality time, and it's not just having every talk as a meaningful talk. Sometimes, listen to this, sometimes you, you can just throw, you know, let, let me just visit with you personally here. I hear so many dads say, well, especially when families are fractured. Well, I don't get to spend much time with my child, but I get to spend quality time with my child. We get together, we go fly kites. I mean, we get together, we ride horses, we go do stuff. We, we're doing quality stuff. Let me just tell you, love with kids is spelled T-I-M-E. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're sitting down there eyeball to eyeball trying to dig around in their future and find out some deep, significant thing. It may just mean that you're in the next room and you're there if they need you. Just the knowledge, dad's here. Dad's here. And so many parents are trying to raise kids at home in their spare time. That's right. You don't realize that they are your legacy. And you give your life for that corporation, you get a gold watch. But you give your life developing those relationships your children, they're a gift from God to you, and you leave a legacy on this earth, and this world will be changed for the good because of them. It is so very, very important to spend time. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath or to anger, he says here. Now listen to the consequences. Lest they, what, lose or uh, really lest they be discouraged. Now look up here for a moment. This word, I, I keep referring to these words, but they are so filled with meaning. The word is... Ah, thumeo. Thumeo is a word we've seen elsewhere about the wrath, an explosion out of the heart, the wrath of God, for instance, or a man being wrathful, an explosion out of the heart. Ah, thumeo means they lose the power or the will to respond. You just get on somebody and get on somebody and get on somebody and get on somebody. And after a while, you're saying, why don't you look at me when I talk to you? Why don't you respond? Speak up. Hey, they've lost the will to respond. Why don't you do something about it? Move, 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 get with it. They've lost the will to respond. 
they're discouraged because somehow in that relationship they've come to believe they can't ever really satisfy you. Thank God God's not like that. So he says, Dads, you're doing your best when you don't provoke your children to wrath and they become discouraged. Children, you're doing your best when you make up your mind, obedience. That's the secret. I'm going to obey my parents. That's well-pleasing to the Lord. All right, we've seen how to do our best in our relationship with our companion, how to do our best in our relationship between parents and children. And then we have one other example here. He says you can see how to do your best in your relationship as a co-laborer. Here we have an employer and we have the employee, or in this case, it's servants and masters. You say, yeah, that's the way it is down where I work too. Um, now, I'm, I'm going to tell you something here. In just a few moments, we're going to read these verses, and uh, the word that is used here for servant is a word that's used for bond slave, and it means that this person has cast himself upon the master for his total welfare. Now, he's committed himself to his master for life, but he said, now, you've got to take care of me. And we've almost come to a situation uh, in our own nation where once this relationship is established, because of all the legalities, it's hard to extricate yourself. You know, you can't, somebody does a bad job, you can't just say, hey, buddy, you're fired, because if you do, you're going to be down in somebody's court. You know, very soon, you can't do that anymore. I mean, it's just very difficult to extricate yourself from a relationship. And so you have almost the same thing here, where people just become dependent. And if the company doesn't take care of me, the government's got to take care of me. I mean, somebody's got to be out there taking care of me because the world owes me a living, all right? Now, here's what he says. First of all, to servants. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Now, there are two things I want you to see in that Scripture that have to do with an employee, employee. How many of us here are employees? You work, you receive a wage for your employment. All right, now this is a word for you as an employee, all right? First of all, he has a word about your focus. As you work, what are you to be focused upon, all right? Servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Now, I want you to underscore that word singleness of heart. You know what that means? It means that you, because you have a reverence for God, are serving, you're working with one purpose, and that is to do the best job you can by the grace of God. Now, listen very carefully. It means that you do not do the work you do, listen, with a double agenda. Some of you guys know what it's like to work with people who have a double agenda. You ever work with anybody like that? Yeah, they want to do good at the company, but you get the impression that it's not really, they're not really working for the company. They really don't, that they've got something else on their mind and they're using you to get what they want. They're going to hang in here till they get the retirement what they want. They're using you to get the kind of insurance they want. They're using you as long as they want. And here's what he's saying. He's saying your focus ought to be with a simple heart. You ought to go down there and say, I, listen to this, I want to work for you. Listen, nobody makes you go work for that person. You initiated that. 
unless you were drafted in the military. But you initiated that. You went down there, applied for the job, filled out an application, hoped that they would hire you. They did. Okay, it started in your heart. Now, don't get the impression that you can please God if every day that you go to work, you're thinking, how can I use this company to get what I want? He said, you ought to realize that you, with the fear of God, you're doing what you do as unto the Lord, no double agendas. No double agendas. Every once in a while, I meet a person who is struggling at work, and I will ask them this question, do you have a double agenda? And they'll look at me and say, what do you mean? I'll say, well, why, why are you working there? They have got great retirement. They have got wonderful benefits. And besides that, if I get one more promotion, I can afford to buy the house that I want. And if I get that house that I want, I think I'll be up there where I can go to another company and apply for another and get a better job. So is what you're saying, and see, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be aggressive, but you see, what you're saying there is, I'm in this company for my sake. For my sake. I've been very interested. I, I don't want to get in the big dispute about labor unions or not labor unions because we have people here who, who are in the union and we have people here who are not in the union. And so that's not a dispute that I want to get into. But I will say this, that we have a developing sense in our nation that we are all owed something. They were all owed something. And that it's more incumbent upon those who owe it to us to give it to us than it is for us to do a good job. Well, I'll tell you what, God turns that around. He said it's incumbent on you to do a good job. Your focus should be this. You got the Lord looking over your shoulder and you ought to work with simplicity of heart, singleness of heart. Now, not only should you be focused, but he says you should be faithful. He says here, servants, obey in all things. Notice the faithfulness here, in everything. Don't just obey in the things that you like doing. Don't do those well and not do the other ones. By the way, the test of integrity is how well you do the things you don't like doing. That's right. You go down to a, to a corporation and you'll find that the people of integrity do just as diligently the things they don't enjoy doing as they do the things they enjoy doing. And so he says here, servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Now notice this, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in simple singleness of heart, fearing God. Not with eye service as men, but you know what that says? It says, don't only just be faithful in the things that are seen, but be faithful in the things that are unseen. Be trustworthy when nobody's looking over your shoulder. Be trustworthy when your trustworthiness is not going to get you a gold watch. It's not going to get you a raise. It's not going to get you anything except it's going to be a statement of your heart, I can be trusted. I can be trusted. Be a trustworthy person. So he says, here at Servants, your focus. I do what I do is under the Lord. I don't have a double agenda. Servants, be faithful. Do it. Do everything, not just the things you like, everything, and don't just do it to be seen or when it's seen. Be a man or woman of integrity in everything. Now notice something else he says about employers. Masters, chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. 
Now, what does he say about the master's focus? He says, all right, if you're an employer, you have people working for you. You're an employer, you've hired them, or maybe they've been hired by your company, and you are their supervisor. Remember, God is on your shoulder. He is watching the way that you are treating these people. You are their master, he is your master. By the way, he's their master. And so he says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you have a master in heaven. But what about your faithfulness, all right? Give unto your servants that which is just. That means that word is righteous. In other words, it's right with God. And equal, that word means fair. In other words, it's right with God and fair to man. Right with God. You can look God, look up and say, God, you know, I believe this is right the way I'm treating this employee, and I believe that this is fair. I believe in my heart that this is fair. I'm not trying to get away with anything here. I'm not trying to squeeze that employee for all they're worth. I'm going to recompense them. I'm going to treat them as I would want to be treated because I realize you are my master. You're looking over my shoulder. Now, everybody look up here for a moment. What is the Apostle Paul saying? He said, you want to do your best? Listen to the exhortation, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything to the Lord, giving thanks unto him, do it heartily. And so be the right man, have the right mind, do it with the right manner, have the right motive. But he said, not only should you respond to this exhortation, you need to review these basic examples. What are they? The way a husband relates to his wife, the way parents and children relate to each other, and the way employers and employees relate to one another. He says, in every one of those arenas, here is how to do your best. I remember visiting with a man who said to me, Brother Tom, I made up my mind a long time ago that the quality of my work was not ever going to be affected by the amount of my salary. I said, you mean you're not interested in your salary? He said, I didn't say that. He said, yes, I'm interested in my salary. He said, I'd like to receive good salary. But he said, what I'm telling you is this. In reality, I work for God. I must give an account to God. And the quality of my work will never be affected by the amount of my pay. Now, I appreciated that man. He had a great influence on my life. And as a matter of fact, I believe he's one of those kind of men who go out before the Lord having done his best with the rest of his life. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. In a few moments, we're going to have a time of invitation your invitation to come to Jesus. You know, I believe that tonight that there may be some dads here who would want to go to their children and uh, you may just want to come to the altar with them and say, I believe that we need to have the kind of relationship the Bible talks about here and I can't put anything in your heart but I know what God's put in my heart and the Bible tells me that I should not be a provoking kind of father. Maybe your children are not here. Maybe you, look at, maybe, maybe you look across your life. Maybe your children are grown and gone, but you realize that, that you could, should go to them 
and say, I, I need to ask you to forgive me because I realize that, that I provoked you. Doesn't mean you were sinless. Doesn't mean you didn't do things wrong. Doesn't mean you didn't rebel. But the reality is I can only speak for me. I provoked you as a father. It may be you just need to come to the altar tonight and hear before the Lord say, Lord, I confess it, I repent of it, because I know that's the only way that I can receive mercy, and that's the only way things are going to change. And so I would encourage you dads to come to the altar. I believe there's some young people here tonight. Maybe you're grown children. Maybe you're looking back at your childhood. And you say, you know something? I didn't do my best, or I haven't been doing my best, because doing my best means that I obey my parents in everything. That's what's pleasing to the Lord. That really is what's pleasing to the Lord. And I've not done my best. And so I believe there ought to be young people who'd come to this altar and bowing before the Lord, just say, dear God, forgive me, and then go to your parents at home or here or wherever and say, look, I want to be the kind of person who does their best, and as a young person, that means I need to obey you. If you didn't come to the altar this morning with the dozens upon dozens of people who came, husbands and wives, said we need to do our best, you ought to come. I believe there's some employees here and some employers here who ought to come to this altar and say, I have forgotten what it's all about. I'm just in there and it's the company and I've gone to all the courses and all the seminars, but I have forgotten God is on my shoulder. I have a master. Or I've forgotten that what I do for that employer, I need to be faithful. I need not to have a double agenda. Maybe in your own heart you've been saying, I, I've been using, it may even be a branch of the service, I've been using this company. I've been using those people. And they haven't been getting the best out of me. They've gotten enough out of me to get by with. Enough out of me to stay on the payroll. Just enough out of me to keep the money coming. And bowed before the Lord, you want to repent of it and say, I am going to be a person who can be trusted whether anybody's watching is not the issue. I want to be a trustworthy employee. You say, well, what, what's in it for me? Doing the best with the rest of your life, being pleasing to God, having him say, well done. Now, you may just want to get a gold watch. That's okay. But frankly, I'd rather hear the Lord say, well done. And so I would encourage you to come to this altar. This is your invitation to say yes to Christ. Now, there's people here to whom the Lord is speaking about becoming a part of this church, I want to encourage you to come and find a counselor here and just taking the counselor by the hand and say, look, we want to join the church. Or I want to join the church. We want to be a part of what God's doing here at First Southern. Well, I'd encourage you to come. And counselors will be coming. And I'm going to ask those of you who've made decisions in earlier services and we've not yet introduced you, for instance, those who are baptized tonight and others. Maybe you joined the church this morning. And we've not introduced you yet to the church family. Well, I'm going to ask you to come and just be seated over here where it says seating for new members down here to my left, to your right. And then I believe that there are some here this evening who would say, you know, the real need of my heart is to know Christ. What I really need is to know that my sins are forgiven, to know that I have eternal life, to know if I die, I'll go to heaven. What I really need is to settle that. Well, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He's risen from the grave. He's coming again. And tonight, you can go away from this place knowing that you are a child of God, that you have eternal life. And I would encourage you to come find a counselor and say something this simple, I want to trust Jesus tonight. I want to trust Jesus tonight. 
your invitation to open your heart to Christ tonight as Savior. Well, what is the Lord speaking to you about this evening? Employers, employees, husbands, wives, children, parents. What a tragedy it would be to let this wonderful moment go by when you could say, Lord, starting tonight with the rest of my life, I want to be the best. Do the best. Don't let this moment pass. Don't let this moment pass. Come to this altar. Set it right with God, with others if you need to. I'd like for us to sing that hymn that says, All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I surrender all. And for some here this evening, surrendering everything means you'll come to the altar. You'll say, Lord, I wasn't aiming to do that, wasn't planning on that, but tonight I want to surrender all. Well, this is your invitation to make that decision tonight. Would you stand with me? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Father in heaven, I pray just now trusting that you will move in power through this place. Lord, we need a powerful moving of your spirit. When we come to this invitation time, it's not by might nor by human power, but it's by your spirit that people's hearts are touched and lives are changed. Oh, dear God, bring to this altar those who would say, after reviewing those basic examples, I see error in my life. I see sin. I want to confess. I want to set it right. Dear God, I believe you'll move like that at this place tonight. Bring others to join this church, others to say yes to Christ as Savior and Lord. And I pray it in Jesus' wonderful and matchless name. Amen. Let's begin singing. People are already here at this altar. Why don't you come and join them right now? I'm saying yes, yes to God.